Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, December 7th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news, and we'll dive into some reaction for the Avengers Endgame trailer, maybe bordering on some spoiler speculation, and also talking uh, talk about an Easter egg hidden in that Captain Marvel trailer as well. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Huaytran Bui. Hey, everyone. Um, you know, yesterday it was raining here in L.A. Today it's a sunny day. This has been your, your daily podcast weather report from, uh, <laughs> yeah, for me. Uh, okay, now let's move on because uh, there's a lot to get to today, including that huge Avengers trailer. But before we get to the, you know, the comic book goodness, let's start off with Crazy Rich Asians, which it turns out, they're going to be filming the sequels back-to-back. H.D., what's going on here? Yeah, so we knew that um, a sequel to Crazy Rich Asians was already greenlit and in the works, and that would be a sequel adapting Kevin Kwan's follow-up novel, China Rich Girlfriend. But now the producers for Crazy Rich Asians, um, Nina Jacobson and Brad Simpson, revealed that they'll be shooting two Crazy Rich Asians sequels back-to-back, and that will adapt China Rich Girlfriend and the third book in the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy. Um, It is called Rich People Problems. So the script is currently being worked on by Adele Lim and Peter Chiarelli, but um, this will mean that fans will have a longer wait up front because uh, the films won't likely be able to start shooting until 2020. But by the time they do finish, it will get them both of them a lot sooner. And that's because um, the reason for this scheduling is because the cast now is in huge demand. Henry Golding, as you know, is, is starring in big Movies left and right. He was in a simple favor this summer. In addition to Crazy Rich Asians, Constance Wu has scored a Golden Globe nomination for her role in Crazy Rich Asians. Aquafina has also blown up, as has Sonoya Mizuno and Gemma Chan, and Michelle Yeoh is Michelle Yeoh. So um, <laughs> everyone's busy. John Chu is also working on the In the Heights movie as well. And once he wraps that, he will start working on both Crazy Rich Asians sequels, uh, likely by 2020. This seems crazy to me because, like, 
until now, I feel like it's all always been like big, huge blockbusters that have shot back to back. You know, there I guess mm-hmm. Back to the Future two and three started it. We had the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, the Matrix, the Hobbit, uh, the you know the Avengers, the last two Avengers films. Um, but this is the probably the first and only romantic comedy big enough to shoot to have a back to back sequel. Yeah, I think you're right. I can't think of any other romantic comedies or anything that's like not an action film or a YA franchise being shot back to back like this. I don't know. It, that that to me is just crazy. It's crazy how popular this this film franchise is. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. Speaking of sequels, we have word that Warner Brothers is already planning an Aquaman sequel, even though the first film has not made its big splash. Brad, tell us about it. Ooh, big splash puns. Fun. Yeah. Um Yes, Aquaman uh, is already having a sequel in the works because the box office tracking is already looking so good. Plus, this is a DC Extended Universe movie, so obviously they hope this is going to be a big franchise and turn into uh, one of the more successful parts of a comic book universe that has otherwise had its fair share of stumbles. Um, It's not anything official yet, but there just are talks happening behind the scenes. Uh, It doesn't seem like it's been greenlit, or at least we haven't heard about it being greenlit yet. Uh, but the early buzz for Aquaman has been pretty decent so far, so it's not surprising that Warner Bros. wants to get a jump start on Aquaman and ride any potential good buzz that might come out of it. Uh, as we know, next uh, week they're going to be having the early screenings of the movie for Amazon Prime members, which is also a good sign. It means they have confidence in the movie and they want to get word of mouth going from fans who, who see it a week before it hits theaters everywhere else. So, yeah, I mean, this is uh, it's a no-brainer, but it's uh, interesting to hear that they're already working on a, a sequel. Yeah, I think Warner Brothers has a lot of faith in this film. The reactions from the critics thus far have been has been very positive. I think I know I have talked about this film, and HT was very enthusiastic about this movie on what was it this week's Water Cooler? Yeah, it feels like a while ago, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, this week has been a long week, um, but it, it, I don't know. To, to someone that's seen the movie, it seems like a no brainer. Like it seems like you'd want to bring Jason Momoa back for more. But it's it's weird because Warner Brothers is kind of in this sticky situation where they're like half married to the Zack Snyder DCEU with Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And then the rest of the stuff, it's like, they could just, like, what are they going to do with it? Do they just dump it and start over? <laughs> I know we've had this discussion to death on this podcast, so I won't uh, bring us into that again. But uh, it, it is kind of an interesting situation that they find themselves in, in here. Um, let's move on to our next story. And that has to do with theme parks, something I am very excited about. Uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is set to open uh, next summer. That is crazy to me. Next summer in at Disneyland Resort and later that year at Disney World, um, there, there people are starting as we approach this date. People are starting to wonder how long are you gonna? How many people are actually gonna get to go into Galaxy's Edge each day, and how long are people gonna have to wait to ride these rides? And we're we're starting to get some kind of indication. Um, a journalist for the New York Times, Brooks Barnes, did like a long lead thing where he actually got to step inside the Millennium Falcon uh, Smuggler's Run uh, ride in Walt Disney Imagineering where they had it built in kind of like a warehouse setting. And he said that Disney Imagineering says that they have enough pods to handle 1,800 people per hour in that ride. Of course, that's the best possible scenario 
Um, you know, that's without, you know, things going wrong in the state of the art ride. You know, there's never been a a flight simulator, a motion simulator of this kind that, where the people can control it that's going to be ridden by, you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people a week. So things will probably go wrong. But theoretically, this ride has a maximum capacity of 28,800 daily riders. And, um, you know, that that's on the top of, like, what Disney rides can handle. Uh, a, a ride like Pirates of the Caribbean handles about 2800 riders an hour um it it's impressive uh but also but the 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 question is Disneyland has a max capacity of like 70 or 80,000 visitors a day so that means that only you know what one third of the people that go to Disneyland in a given day are going to actually be able to ride this ride I have this whole article on SlashFilm.com. I'm not going to go into all of it here, but I talk about some of the rumors I've heard. There's rumors that uh, these rides, Smuggler's Run and the other, the Rise of the Resistance, Trackless Dark Ride, um, both of which will be opening on opening day of Galaxy's Edge, that both of those rides will only be available to FastPass. I've also heard that Disney themselves thinks that the uh, the first 90 days of Galaxy's Edge being open, that the park is going to hit capacity before 10 a.m. Uh, that's their estimates. Uh, a, a university teacher who studies these kind of things in Florida estimates that 200,000 fans are going to show up to Disneyland on opening day, and that'll leave, you know... <laughs> know a good chunk of those out in the cold uh it's gonna be crazy i mean it's it's a good kind of problem to have for disney like you know how do you handle you know a ride in a land that is so popular that you know you're gonna be having to turn people away but it's also gonna be frustrating for you know families that are booking vacations and aren't even gonna be able you know are gonna be waiting in a line all day to just get into disneyland and then at that point probably waiting in a queue to get into galaxy's edge there uh i also talk about this in the article i'm not gonna go too far into this but there's also rumors that there might be like an extra ticket involved so your ticket to disneyland won't get you into galaxy's edge you'll need an extra ticket from the batu travel agency and that uh might not even be for the whole day that might be for a selected set of hours so like from you know, 8 to 11 p.m., you get to visit Galaxy's Edge. Uh, this is all crazy to me. This is this is scary for someone who has an annual pass because that probably means that I would have to buy a ticket, uh, you know, an extra ticket every time I want to visit the Star Wars Galaxy. Uh, Brad, I, I know I'm probably going to be there opening day. I'm going to be there, like, probably sleeping over, trying to be one of the first people to get into this park and experiencing these things. Uh, would you do that? I would love to, but it sounds like it's going to be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I just don't think I have that kind of like money or time to invest, especially when I, I don't know if I'll be able to do the things I want to do or really enjoy the experience. So I feel like I'm going to be one of those people who ends up waiting like a year or two before they get to go enjoy uh, Star Wars. Uh, in that capacity but then again you know maybe there'll be a time when i'm out there and hanging out with you after comic or something like that and it'll work out and we'll we'll go and uh, i'll be like hey do you want to go to the star wars galaxy and i'll be like nah i'm good (laughs) (laughs) no i mean this this is something that i am really excited about and i I honestly can't wait to do it but i just 
all the things you mentioned just make it sound like it's going to be one of the most difficult things ever to try to experience. Yeah, it does sound like a gigantic cluster, but I'm also worried that, like, you know, they have Disney Imagineering has so much like their ambitions for this project are so high and they're planning all these interactive elements and there's going to be the story that follows you as a person throughout this land. And I feel like as we go on in time and, you know, there's mass crowds of people in there, they're going to figure out a lot of this isn't working. And I almost want to experience what it is like on day one so that I have something to compare it to when they make it simpler and stupider, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, HJ, do you have any interest in going to Galaxy's Edge? Not really. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> have you been? Uh, yeah, you've talked, I think, before about going to the Wizarding World, Fairy Potter, right? Yes. Yeah. That's really the only world that I'm very interested in going back to and doing a whole day there. Otherwise, yeah. not especially. Yeah. 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 And the lines are going to be crazy. But. Uh... You know us Disney folk. We love standing in lines. Oh, So, yeah. Uh, Let's move on to another bit of news. I think yesterday we were saying that Kevin Hart was hired to host the 2019 Oscars. And uh, it turns out that's not true anymore. He has stepped down. H.J., what is going on here? Yeah, so less – more than 24 hours um, after Kevin Hart was announced – as the official 2019 Oscars host, he stepped down from the gig. And this is following this huge sort of uproar um, after a few anti-gay tweets and comments that he had made uh, were resurfaced following his official announcement. Um, And after that outcry kind of started to uh, build, Kevin Hart took to Instagram to make a sort of bizarre non-apology that did not go go over very well with his critics and uh he ended up um having speaking more about how the academy of motion picture arts and sciences had given an ultimatum to apologize or they would find a new host he decided to not apologize and he stepped down and um now the oscars are without a host once again uh did he handle this badly he definitely did. <laughs> uh, um, his um, his initial video addressing the resurfaced tweets um, basically did everything but apologize. Uh, he mostly talked about how he's 40 years old now and he, he's grown and changed as a person and he's the wrong guy to be attacking about this. But he didn't actually go and say sorry. He only actually officially... Um, sent out an apology after he had made the choice to step down. So it kind of, he kind of did it all in reverse. I know we were talking about yesterday how hosting the Oscars is like not only a hard job, but like it really isn't even good for your career. There's It's like a no-win situation. And I feel like Kevin Hart has, has already found this out in just 24 hours. Like uh, I feel like his career has kind of taking a tumble after this controversy <laughs> and he was only the announced uh, Oscar host for uh, 24 hours. Uh, Brad, you were probably the most on the touch with uh, the comedic scene. Who do you think should host the Oscars? Uh, that is a good question. I actually made uh, what is kind of a, a joke suggestion, but also I think would be really fun. Um, and even though it's not necessarily movie related, it's still Hollywood related. Uh, let's just get the marvelous Mrs. Maisel to host the Oscars. I'd watch that. 
I don't. Yeah. I, do you think enough people have watched her like that show to understand that though? I mean, probably not. But you know, it's uh, it, it would if anything, it would spread awareness. It would be fun. You know, uh, a little bit of an older school style comedian, but she's still got some some edge to her. So I I think that'd be fun. Otherwise, in in uh, more realistically, um, I mean, I feel like having someone like Donald Glover do it could be really fun. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian in his own right. He's a he's a great writer. He's a uh, has a great stage presence. Uh, very funny. Also been been very prominent lately on on the scene. So uh, you know I, I think that could be fun as well. But I also think that he's smart enough to stay away from a gig like that. <laughs> yeah. He... And, I, and I will say this for Kevin Hart. Uh, he, he, even though he very poorly managed his apology and addressing this this controversy, I will say uh, as somebody who knows a lot about the the comedy world and how frustrating um the politically correct culture can be for stand-up comedians lately it is very annoying that these kind of things get keep getting drawn out because people do change and it's, it's kind of the same argument we have with the james gunn situation where he got in trouble for these tweets that were from nearly a decade ago this is the same kind of thing and like i think if kevin hart would have reacted more favorably and not have been so arrogant about his ap- apology this wouldn't have been such an issue um but but again it's just it's another frustrating thing where like there has to be a, a, a kind of a statute of limitations as to how far in the past we're willing to dig the, these things up and pretend as if they're still current and, you know, real things that people believe in. Yeah. Um, let's move on to another bit of comic book news. It, it turns out that Warner Brothers is also developing a Plastic Man movie. Brad, what do we know? So DC is still chugging forward trying to make movies uh, as they sort of revamp the uh, DC Extended Universe. And apparently one of the projects that they're working on coming up is going to be a Plastic Man movie. Uh, If you don't know who Plastic Man is, don't worry. Most of us didn't know who he was either. Um, And it's it's weird because even though his name is Plastic Man, his superpowers involve his body stretching, twisting, and moving like rubber. So his his name doesn't even really make that much sense either. Uh, But apparently Warner Brothers is in the process of getting this movie together. still early in development, so there's no director attached. And it's not even greenlit, so there's no guarantee we'll even see it happen. Uh, but Amanda Idoko, uh, who is an up-and-coming uh, screenwriter, has apparently been tasked with adapting the comic book. She has a movie in the works coming out called Breaking News in Yuba County, which is slated to star Allison Janney and Laura Dern. So uh, she'll be writing the, the script for this. More than likely, she won't be the only one tackling this. Uh, I bet someone will be brought on to rewrite it afterwards, especially whenever they hire a director to take it on. Um, for those who don't know who Plastic Man is, uh, so he or- originates as a criminal uh, named Patrick Eel O'Brien, um, and in the middle of uh, uh, a crime gone wrong, he ends up getting shot, and his uh, wound and body is exposed to these chemicals, and his gang leaves him behind. He makes an escape, ends up in this uh, monastery, and a monk, sensing the good in him, keeps him safe, and when the guy awakes, uh, when Patrick awakes, he kind of has this realization that he's been screwed over by his gang. This life of crime isn't really working for him. And he decides to, to use uh, these newfound abilities that he has as he finds that his body can stretch and move in these things uh, to do good. Uh, he's become a part of Justice League. He's uh, in the New 52. He's a very comedic character. Um, he was actually one of the, the earlier kind of comedic superheroes on the comic book scene. And uh, our own Jacob Hall, who's more of a comic book expert than, than most of us here, uh, says that he he can be Looney Tunes esque at time, a little bit slapstick because of how much of his superpowers involve his body. Uh, he's a little bit a little bit snarky, a little bit silly. 
Um, so I, I'm, I'm imagining sort of a mix of Scott Lang from Ant-Man and Reed Richards from Fantastic Four. So um, it's there's potential here. Um, you know, it seems like DC is really leaning more into the lighthearted comedy aspect of uh, comic books, especially with the Shazam movie on the way, having a, a much stronger comedic tone than any of their other movies. So we'll see if it's, this gets off the ground um, and adds anything to the uh, the DC extended universe. No, I, I think you're right. I think uh, DC is definitely headed in this more comedic, family-friendly direction. They're kind of trying to get away from the Snyderverse uh, stigma. And uh, Plastic Man definitely seems like it's in that direction. But let's talk about the Avengers Endgame trailer. But actually, before we talk about the Avengers Endgame trailer, we should talk about they announced the title for Avengers 4, which is hey, Avengers... Hey, hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. It's it's Jacob chiming in. Hi. <sighs> Slash film managing editor Jacob Hall once again cutting into our podcast. I heard from across Slash Film HQ, you mentioned the words uh, Avengers and, and Endgame in the same sentence. And this is the the title for the fourth Avengers movie, is it not? It is. It is. It's the one keeping secret for like a thousand years or at least years now. <laughs> uh, well, one, the one that they, they the, the, the title they said would not have a line of dialogue from the from the previous movie in it. That that, that title, right, Peter? Yeah, they lied. Yeah, they, they they're such liars. J- Jacob, wh- wh- why are you here? I have a clip to play from April twenty seventh of earlier this year, a day and a half after uh, Infinity War hit theaters, and we all gathered to talk about it. Uh, let's roll that clip. Now that we've seen Infinity War, what do you think the title is going to be, Ben? Uh, my guess would be Avengers Reassembled um, or or maybe like Avengers Resurrected. Something that's very – because like you were saying, we don't know how general audiences are going to respond to the ending of this movie. And they don't know that Avengers 4 is coming out yet because they don't read our site and they don't, you know, they don't pay close attention to it. My parents don't know. They might go see Infinity War because they've seen a bunch of the Marvel movies, but they don't know the layout of the future of this uh, franchise. So – the idea of uh, Marvel titling this uh, uh, Avengers for something that is sort of reassuring to the audience, like, hey, come on back. It's OK. We didn't actually do the thing that you thought we did at the end of Infinity War hmm. kind of makes sense to me. But I just I don't know. Uh, do you have any theories? Um, for the longest time, I've, I thought Avengers disassembled. But after seeing this film and seeing the downer ending, I don't think that would play to general audiences. I think they need something more optimistic, like you know your your suggestion of reassembled. Although disassembled is a uh, a comic uh, line, right? Uh, I'm not sure uh, reassembled is. Uh, Jacob might know better than I. Um, Jacob, what what are your idea? What is your idea for a title? Uh, my idea for a title uh, makes sense um, in that it's a line of dialogue from the movie, which I think is going to be Avengers Endgame, which I think. So there's everything you know. It's the end game for phase three. Uh, it suggests finality. It's simple. It gets a point across. Um, but it's not a spoiler for Infinity War. It isn't like it's not something that you need to keep hidden. So that's, so maybe I'm completely wrong there. But the moment that that line was said, I think it was, I can't, it was Doctor Strange who says this is the end game. Uh, yes. Somebody somebody says uh. it, and um, uh, and the moment I heard that, I said, oh, that's the title of the next movie. Okay, it looks like you were right. I was right. I was I was I was incredibly correct for the first time in my life about anything. <laughs> I, I I bet you you were probably the like 
the earliest I, I was trying to do a search just now to see if anybody had said that title before you did on the podcast and i can't find record on twitter of anybody saying it well i'm happy to lend my part to the great slashville machine okay so let, let's talk about that title like what do you guys think of that title i mean i think it's i think it's a cool title end game comes from isn't it a chess word i think so I could be making this up, but I believe it's a chess word that basically is is in reference to having to sacrifice something to win the game. Yes, the final stage of games such as chess or bridge when few pieces or cards remain. Yeah. Um, and it's also obviously that, that line of dialogue in the movie where uh, Doctor Strange tells Tony Stark that there's, you know, a million or so possibilities and there's only one that they win. And later on, uh, he asked, why did he give him the time zone? He said, we're in the end game now. Uh, Brad, what are your thoughts on this title? Uh, you know, it fits thematically with, you know, what we've come to expect from this Avengers movie. We've heard that Avengers 4 is supposed to be this culmination of the, you know, uh, first 10 years uh, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, it'll be 11, you know, by the time this movie comes out. But it makes sense. It's a little bit of a generic title, um, but I'm not necessarily sure what other title you would come up with that would have been any more satisfying. It's it's brief. It's to the point. It it works. You know, the there hasn't been a, another sequel that has had that name, so that's good. It's it's definitely better than the other uh, rumored title, Avengers Annihilation, which uh, would have been marred by the fact that there's already a terrible Mortal Kombat sequel with that title. Um, so yeah, it's 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 fine. I'm you know I'm not necessarily blown away by it, but it works. Jacob, uh, I mean, I know you already gave your thoughts in our in our the, when we went back in time in the using the quantum realm, as they probably are going to do in this movie. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts now that this is official? It's a totally adequate title. It gets the job done. It tells people what it's about. It tells you it's the end of something big, which it is. It's the end of Phase Three and the end of probably many of the main core characters we've been following since two thousand eight. Uh, it's Easy to market, easy to sell. Everybody hears that and knows what it means. I mean, I'm not going to give it a, I'm not going to give it an award for most creative title in the world, but you know what? These movie sells itself, and this title is very short, simple, to the point, sweet, does the job. HT, any thoughts? I'm just happy that this is the end of the game that the Russo brothers and the rest of Marvel have been playing with us, that this is not the title. They've been lying to us for the past year. So uh, I, yeah, I think it's a good title. It's simple um, and gets to the point, like everyone's saying, I have nothing against it. I don't think that uh, Marvel has like had a history of great titles either. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's good. It's in the line of like just, you know, good, appropriate Marvel titles. Yes, some fans are kind of upset because they like, you know, the, I guess the Russo brothers originally said that the title was a spoiler for Infinity War and that, um, you know, they've been keeping it, you know, secret for so long. And, you know, this has been kind of anticlimactic because why couldn't they have announced this title, you know, six months ago? Do you think uh, do you think this would have I feel like they went on this campaign since they announced Avengers Infinity War Part One and Part Two at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. Uh, they went on a campaign shortly after to kind of backtrack from that and say that, you know, this isn't a two part movie. We're just shooting two films back to back. I think marketing and the company kind of told them that, you know, people would not want to go to the theater to see like just a first part of a movie and then having if we knew that it was called Avengers Endgame 
maybe people would look at that as, oh, this we're, we're just seeing half a movie here. What do you guys think? Is is that just me trying to read too much into this? or? Oh, no, I think you're completely right. It's the exact same reason why uh, Thor 2 is not called Thor 2. It's called Thor Ragnarok. Uh, sorry, Thor the Dark World, and why Thor 3 is... Um, uh, Thor Ragnarok and yeah, Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War. They start taking the numbers out of the titles because it doesn't give let's give gives you the impression that you can jump in and enjoy this movie no matter what. There's no you know it doesn't say Marvel Part 17. You know those numbers aren't going to bog people down. They're going to scare people off. Whereas uh, if you start looking at like Iron Man one, two, and three, as they kind of did that before they figured this out. But yeah, I think it's all about trying to make it seem as accessible as possible. Okay, because. Uh... You know, when the, when we tweeted about this trailer on on the site, when we posted it on the site, some people were like, you have spoiled the Avengers title for us, and they were upset. Uh, I'm going to – now we're going to enter the spoiler room So because we're going to discuss this trailer, and that will have some speculation and some observations that I guess could be spoilers. And we're also going to talk about that Captain Marvel Easter egg as well which uh, has some speculation that could be spoilers. So if you do not want to speculate with us, uh, you know, turn off the podcast now and you'll miss our insights. And uh, yeah, so do that. Okay, we are now in the spoiler room. Brad, you did a, a, a breakdown of this trailer on SlashFilm.com. We will link it in the show notes. Uh, what, what kind of interesting stuff did you find in this trailer? So there's not a ton to glean from this trailer because they're they're playing things very close to the vest. They're not revealing a lot at this point. You know they have they haven't even really told us what you know the the plot is of this movie other than you know uh, Captain America and the rest of the surviving Avengers somehow trying to come back from this after this you know the snap event and happened. Uh, but there are some interesting little details to notice. Uh, first of all, one thing that's kind of cool is um, we see a shot of Mark Ruffalo looking at some holographic profiles of uh, people who are uh, missing. And that's mostly because some of these people, they, they don't know what happened to them, even with this, like you could assume that they were turned to dust in the snapping, but on Earth, they don't know what happened to a lot of the people because they weren't around them. So uh, as we see in this trailer, at, at, at this time, Scott Lang is missing. They don't know where he is because he wasn't around when this happened. Uh, quickly, you see a profile in the background of Shuri, uh, Black Panther's sister, who is missing. We don't know what happened to her uh, at, at Wakanda. They don't know whether or not she uh, was caught up in the dust or if she maybe survived and escaped in this hiding somewhere in Wakanda or elsewhere. And then, of course, her picture changes to Peter Parker, who is also deemed missing because, after all, none of these Avengers who are on Earth fighting in Wakanda know what happened on Titan, at least when this shot takes place. So there, are, a lot of these people aren't necessarily assumed dead by the rest of the Avengers yet. They're just They haven't come back, so they don't know where they are. Um, and then one other interesting thing to know is that uh, we finally get to see our glimpse of Hawkeye since he wasn't in Avengers Infinity War at all. And a lot of Hawkeye fans have been waiting to see what he's going to do and how he's going to be involved in this uh, big conclusion of the, the, the fight with Thanos. And uh, one thing that's interesting to note is that when he shows up, there's a voiceover from Steve Rogers talking about he's saying uh, we lost friends, we lost family, uh, we lost a bit of ourselves. And as soon as he said we lost family – that's when it cuts to Hawkeye. And I think that that's a subtle way of them telling us that the reason Hawkeye has become uh, a ronin, a sort of uh, a, a, like a rogue samurai Japanese warrior, uh, is likely because his family was killed in the snap for Thanos. And this also raises the question, 
as to how much time has passed since the snap. Because if enough time has passed for Jeremy Renner, uh, Jeremy Renner's character, to you know brood about it, be upset about it, and then become pissed off enough to go become a rogue assassin, then one would think that more time has passed than we might have assumed uh, from the beginning. At the very yeah. least, it seems like maybe some days have passed since then because we hear Tony Stark talking about uh, running out of food and water four days before when he's recording that message and sending it to Pepper Potts through the Iron Man helmet. Uh, so, there, there's, there, like I said, there's some interesting details to note here. Not a lot, but it's definitely something to tease us, uh, to get fans excited about what's coming. And I'm personally really interested to see how they're going to market the rest of this movie without spoiling any of the big details that will make this an exciting thing to experience in theater. It's, I think it might even be harder to preserve uh, than Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, all these scenes are basically from from what I understand is the first quarter of the movie, so it doesn't spoil much. Uh, Clint becomes Ronan in the comics. Is that correct, Jacob? Uh, yeah, there are a series of characters who carry the name Ronan, and Clint Barton is one of them. But it's not because of the death of his family. It's some kind of other uh, tragic circumstances, if I remember correctly. Um, there... Uh, we also see Ant-Man here, who has returned from the Quantum Realm, showing up at at uh, Avengers headquarters in the van that contains that quantum uh, tunnel um, at the that was shown at the end of, end of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, so somehow he has gotten out. Uh, we don't know how. Uh, maybe Shuri has helped him? I don't even know if Shuri knows about his existence. Um, J- Jacob, do you have any thoughts on this trailer? It's a good trailer. I mean, it's, uh, as implied, it's very much a teaser. No big special effects shots because they're saving those and they're probably not finished. Um, at the same time, it's the same thing with the title, man. You, you barely got to sell this thing. You don't need to, you don't need a huge hook. This movie's going to make a billion dollars overnight and no one's going to bat an eye. It's going to be... Really, but So, yeah, I like what we see here. I like that the movie seems to be dwelling on the fact that everybody's very, very upset <laughs> by the events of the previous movie. I'm not going to gloss over that. It's really interesting to see Tony Stark so defeated. It's interesting to see everybody look like they're at their lowest point, because they are. And I'm looking forward to seeing them crawl out of that. And I'm very excited to see Scott Lang come by <laughs> and save the day. And Ant-Man, Paul Rudd, of all people, go save the universe. That, that's very cool, very exciting. It's also interesting that Captain Marvel doesn't appear in this trailer yet which you know she's kind of a big part of this movie uh, but maybe they're trying to keep you know her story to the the marketing of her own film at this point uh, this this trailer surprisingly does not really tell us anything about this movie it kind of just shows defeat as you said um i i mean it looks like black widow is catching up with ronan to recruit him maybe that maybe there's something going on there but uh hg do you have any thoughts on this trailer um, I'm on the same boat. I like it a lot. It doesn't show that much, so you can't really get a full impression of it. But I quite like that the center trail, the, the trailer centers around um, Tony Stark, and like most of the trailer really is just his monologue uh, to the helmet, and it kind of feels like it brings everything back full circle since you know we started with him and possibly we're ending with him. Um, and uh, I, I I do like um, I was very happy to see Hawkeye again, or or uh, or Ronan, because yeah. um, he was missing for the entirety of the last movie. And uh, it's very exciting also to see um, 
Paul Rudd be the savior of our world because uh, who doesn't want that? It, it injects a little levity into the trailer too because he he's the only one who kind of elicits a little giggle uh, aside from everyone else. It's just very downtrodden. I also love the the shots on Titan 2 where we see Thanos has like put his entire armor on like a stick and it's kind of almost like a makeshift uh, scarecrow in his like field. And him walking through the field, and we see like the burnt out gauntlet. Um, yeah, apparently that that armor scarecrow is something that is pulled directly from the comics. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and we also notice that uh, obviously Captain America has shaved. Now that doesn't tell you any how much of a time jump we have here, but I'm guessing it's at least a few years, if not five. Um, Cap's uniform's been restored, too, and Infinity War's completely faded almost to black, and now he seems to repaint it the white stripes and star. Not that it matters at all, but I did notice that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you could read Brad's whole breakdown to get all the little bits. Uh, what, what is that spaceship that that uh, Tony is flying in in the beginning of the trailer? Do you know, I'm Brad? pretty sure. That, I'm pretty sure that it's that's the Guardian's new ship, the Benatar. Um, it's the, the exterior shot that we see in space, it doesn't quite have the same shape as we're, we're used to seeing that ship. But if you look at the interior, uh, it looks like it has the same seats as the guardians of the galaxy ship and the, the interiors look, look very, uh, similar around the, the seats as well. So I'm pretty sure that that's the guardian ship. I feel, I agree with you guys. I feel like they don't really need to market this movie. People are going to, you know, they could literally have no trailers and I think people would show up on day one and it would break records um and this trailer there's very few films i think nowadays that can actually have a a teaser trailer that's a a real teaser trailer that doesn't even reveal what the film is about and this is you know one of the rare teaser trailers we get and i always love those kind of uh teaser trailers so i i really enjoyed this Uh, i can't wait to get more i want to learn more um and maybe we can learn some more from the Captain Marvel trailer that was also released. Uh, was that this week? It was. It doesn't feel like it. But yeah, it was this week is week. like a long week. It feels... This week was 84 years. <laughs> yes. Um, Brad, I know there's this theory going around kind of based on some some Easter eggs in the Captain Marvel trailer, which might give us a clue as to what's going on in that movie and also possibly Avengers 4 and um, game. Uh, why don't you tell us about it? Yes. So uh, in the Captain Marvel trailer, uh, there's a, a sequence where Carol Danvers and Nick Fury are in a Quinjet that's blasting out of what appears to be some kind of shield base. And there is a quick shot of the exterior of that Quinjet where you, you notice a partial um, piece of the Project Pegasus logo. And for those of you that don't remember, Project Pegasus is the name of the uh, project that was being conducted by Shield when they were studying the Tesseract. Uh, we see, the, um, find out about that at the beginning of the Avengers when Loki comes to steal the Tesseract in an attempt to uh, use it to bring the the alien force of Chitauri to to New York and and wreak havoc on Earth. Um, so it seems like that there's a connection here that the the same base that Loki infiltrates in Avengers is the the one that Carol Danvers and Nick Fury will end up at, and that's not. A, a really a, a stretch because that as we learned in Avengers that base is, um, is in the Mojave Desert which is not far from Los Angeles which is where a lot of the Earth set uh, scenes on Captain Marvel are supposed to take place 
And the fact that we know Project Pegasus involves research in the Tesseract perhaps gives us some insight as to what this uh, war between the Kree and Skrulls coming to Earth is all about. So maybe the Skrulls are trying to get their hands on the Tesseract. There's actually a whole uh, comic book arc in the Secret Invasion event series about the Skrulls uh, trying to get the Tesseract. And as we know, the Tesseract has an Infinity Stone inside of it. So this could end up uh, Captain Mar- having Captain Marvel tie into the larger story arc. It allows uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe to fill fill in some some time gaps as to what was going on with the Infinity Stones at certain times. Uh, and there's a chance that it could help set up something that happens in, in Avengers 4 even, involving Captain Marvel uh, and the Infinity Stones. I like this because, you know, in the comics, from what I remember, what brought the Free Skull War to Earth is kind of Earth was just in the middle. And that always seemed kind of stupid. Uh, this actually gives a reason for Earth to be kind of at the center of this battle. And uh, but on the other hand, we know what happens to the Tesseract. So we know that they don't uh, they don't get control out of it. Because, you know, this takes place in the 90s. I guess it's kind of like one of those, one of the bad parts of it being a prequel. Jacob, do you have any thoughts on on this whole setup or this possible setup? Pardon me, he's a little bit tired of Tesseract popping up every single time we need an excuse for anything to happen in, in the MCU. But, but it's the, same the time, ultimate MacGuffin. It's... Yeah, I mean, if, if there has been this all-powerful force on Earth since the Viking days just hanging out here, it gives it gives it gives it makes Earth important. It gives Earth a reason to be continental. This, you're right, Peter. So yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, it, it gives it gives us an immediate hook for Captain Marvel. People know what Tesseract is from previous movies, and it's just an easy entryway. Part part of me wishes that there was something new here, but I'm not going to complain about it. The Tesseract coming into play so much. <laughs> they even had it a few times on like uh, a Agent Carter, and I was like, okay, I don't think we need this anymore. I think it's more than an Easter egg, but we'll have to see when Captain Marvel hits theaters. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns. Do you have your own theories about this? Uh, these two trailers? Send them to Peter at SlashFilm.com. We'd love to hear them. Uh, please go to our iTunes page. Raise a couple sentences. Give us five stars. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow.